What did New Testament churches do when they came together? We have been asking this question for uh, several Sunday nights. And what you see is from the earliest time, churches apparently had some kind of treasury. Because it mentions them sending money, Paul said, to the church at Philippi in Philippians 4, verses 15 and 16. No other church communicated with me in giving and receiving but you alone. So churches had money. Churches sent that money to support the preaching of the gospel. They sent that money to support needy saints. A couple of passages that we'll look at later tonight. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. Tonight we want to look at three principal passages as we talk about the, uh, this subject. And we want to help us to see how integral giving is to our worship to God, to our glorifying Him. The first passage, and in necessity, many ways the first passage, because it does deal with what we do when we come together, is 1 Corinthians 16. In 1 Corinthians 16, verses 1 through 4, and I read from the New American Standard Bible. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have directed the churches of Galatia, so also, so do you also. On the first day of the week, first day of every week, each of you is to put aside and say, so that he may, so that there... <clears throat> Forgive me, let me read that again. 1 Corinthians 16, beginning verse 2. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put aside and save as he may prosper, so that no collections be made when I come. When I arrive, whomever you may approve, I will send them with letters to carry your gift to Jerusalem. And if it's fitting for me to go also, they will go with me. Okay, several things to look at in that particular text. First of all, the Bible tells us that concerning the collection for the saints, this is the purpose of this particular collection. He says, first of all, now concerning. Some of you are studying 1 Corinthians right now. And when you get over to 1 Corinthians 7, you're going to find that introduces several chapters. Chapter 7, chapter 8, chapter 12, and here chapter 16. Now concerning, some have suggested that these are Paul's responses to the Corinthians letter to him. And he is dealing with these questions they've asked him. But he says, now concerning the collection for the saints, this is the purpose. It was given to these needy believers in Jerusalem. That's what he will say in verse 3. And he says, as I have directed the churches of Galatia, so do you also. There's a consciousness 
in Paul's writings that he is writing by the Lord's authority, instructing these believers in things that will be normative for local churches for all time. In 1 Corinthians 4 and verse 17, he said that I teach the same thing everywhere in every church. In 1 Corinthians 7, 17, the same thing as I direct in all the churches. He said on the first day of the week, on the first day of every week, this giving is periodic. On the first day of every week, the text tells us that each of you is to put aside and say, the giving is periodic, the giving is personal. Today Micah made a reference to 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 7. Each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart. Our giving is collective, and yet in the midst of that collective, there's an individual decision on how we have been prospered, an individual decision that we want to give as our heart has purpose. And the purpose of this is that there be no collections when I come. And whoever you approve in the letter, they can come with me to Jerusalem to carry this particular gift. Now, is that even talking about a collective congregational activity? The way the New American Standard reads, it may not sound like it is. I think there are several things that suggest that this was some type of congregational activity. First of all, this instruction was given to the churches of Galatia. This is what 1 Corinthians 16 verse 1 tells us. And there is a common day for that giving. If he is just talking about a personal giving, a personal setting aside, is that is that is all 1 Corinthians chapter 16 deals with, why only on the first day of the week? That argues for this being a collective activity. Another thing that argues for this being a collective activity is Paul wants them to do this so that there not be any collections when I come. Now, if they're just each laying aside separately in their home, that's going to defeat the purpose as Paul expresses it. In this particular verse, this is some type of collective contribution, collective gathering. And also, the church apparently is the one choosing the messengers in verse 3. When I arrive, whomever you approve, 
I will send them with letters to carry your gift. The church chooses messengers for this. Not, not each individual is choosing a messenger to carry this message to Jerusalem. The church collectively is choosing some people to carry this gift. Now, that deals with why put it in this series. What did churches do when they came together? That deals with that subject more. We want to look at a couple of other passages that are going to focus on how we should see this as worship to God. And what an awesome thing it is that we're able to do it. It's truly a blessing beyond anything that we deserve. We're going to look at one Old Testament passage and we're going to look at one New Testament passage. But let me invite you to turn your Bibles to 1 Chronicles 29. 1 Chronicles 29, David is collecting money and giving money himself for the building of the temple. The temple could be called a house that David built even though it wasn't built in David's lifetime. He did so much contributing material, contributing gifts for the temple, organizing the personnel. And 1 Chronicles 22 through 29 deal with that. And I want you to see that on this occasion, both David and the rulers and leaders of the people gave in an incredibly generous way. Look at 1 Chronicles 29 and verse 4. As the Bible is talking about what David has given, it says he gave 3,000 talents of the gold of Ophir, and he gave 7,000 talents of refined silver. Now, I have given before in preaching and teaching, I have given a monetary equivalent of how much that's worth. And I look back over every commentary that I had access to on Chronicles and could not find where I had gotten that information. But try to grasp this. 3,000 talents of the gold of Ophir would have been over 300, excuse me, over 113 tons of gold. The gold of Ophir is mentioned a few times in the Old Testament as if that was the, pardon the pun, gold standard. 113 tons of gold. 7,000 talents of silver would have been over 214 tons of silver. In verse 7, the leaders of the people gave. They gave 5,000 talents 
10,000 derricks of gold. Derrick was a coin. A coin that was minted at a later time. And he's giving the equivalent of it in those terms. 10,000 talents of silver. 18,000 talents of bronze. 100,000 talents of iron. Now, this is what I came up with. That this 10,000 talents of silver by the people would have been 377 tons of silver. That $18,000 of bronze or brass would have been 679 tons. And that 100,000 talents of iron would have been over 3,775 tons. I thought maybe it was good I didn't find that monetary reference. Because the figure I remember giving had to be way too much for how much that was. And it was over a billion and a half dollars. Verse 10. I want you to see the prayer. Let's read through verses 10 through 18. It's David's prayer that he prayed on this occasion of this glorious giving. And I want us to make four simple points from the text. David blessed the Lord in the sight of all the assembly. And David said, Blessed are you. O Lord God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. Indeed, everything that is in the heavens and the earth. Yours is the dominion, O Lord. And you exalt yourself as head over all. Both riches and honor come from you and you rule over all and in your hand is power and might and it lies in your hand to make great and to strengthen everyone. Now therefore our God we thank you and we praise your glorious name. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to offer as generously as this for all things come from you and from your hand we have given you for we are strangers or we are sojourners before you and tenants as all our fathers were our days on earth are like a shadow and there is no hope Oh Lord our God, all this abundance that we have provided to build you a house for your holy name, it is from you and all is yours. Since I know, O oh Lord my God, 
that you try the heart and you delight in the integrity, in, in, in uprightness. I, in integrity of my heart, have willingly offered all these things. So now with joy, I have seen your people who are present here make their offerings willingly to you. O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac and Israel, our fathers, preserve this forever in the intentions of the heart of your people and direct their heart to you. As David prays this prayer, one of the points that he makes strongly is everything in the universe belongs to God. Everything in the universe belongs to God. Everything in verse 12, riches and honor come from you and in your hand is power and might and it lies in your hand to make great and strengthen everyone. In verse 16, O Lord our God, all this abundance we have provided to build you a house for your holy name. It is from your hand, all is yours, everything's from God. And when we worship acceptably in giving, we are acknowledging that all belongs to God and that everything we give to God is something God has first given to us. Now there's no exceptions there. Everything He's given that we give to Him is what He's first given to us. Verse 16 said that again. Oh Lord our God, all this abundance we have provided to build you a house for your holy name is from your hand. Everything's from God. Everything we give to God is something God has already given us. much you have given in your life and there are people who have given hundreds of thousands to the work of the Lord I know a preacher told me last year that a very wealthy man he said uh I've got a million dollars on give. What I do with it? He said, just put it in a collection. Like you would any other contribution. It was in check, it was not in cash. But maybe that's self-evident. But I'm saying, I know some people have given enormous amounts. And I'm going to tell you what's true of that. How much ever you've given, we're not even worthy to give to the one who has given us all things. Who am I? Verse 14. David said, but who am I 
And who are my people that we should be able to offer as generously as this? Their feeling in giving was they just could not believe that they got to give to God all What a blessing. And all of this, all of their giving, all of their things that they did led to praise and thank God. In verse 13, now therefore our God, we thank you and we praise your glorious name. Again, it's not a burden. It's not a responsibility. It's a privilege of which we are not worthy. And it leads us to great praise. I reflect on the congregate, the conversation that I had almost 40 years ago, slightly after the time I was out of college and a friend who was interested in the Bible and we said, if it's not really worshipped. That conversation jumped in my mind a couple of times. I have no idea what I said at that moment. But I thought about it this week and I thought, I know what I would say now. know what I would say now to that. <laughs> it is worship and like all other forms of worship that we do, we are bowing before him physically and figuratively acknowledging that he is the source of every good thing and praising Him and thanking Him every step of the way. Now the New Testament passage that we want to go to is 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. And this is one that Mike alluded to this morning. I want to take a little detour here. Do you see in 2 Corinthians 8, 16 and 2 Corinthians 9, 15, the word translated thanks? And then there's a word translated favor in 2 Corinthians 8, verse 4. In 2 Corinthians 8, verse 6, verse 7, verse 19, in the New American Standard anyway, it's translated gracious work. Gracious work. And then in 2 Corinthians 8, 1, in several other passages, it's simply translated grace. Every time, every time, it is the same Greek word. 
every time this is a Greek word that is generally translated grace. Now, if someone said, I want you to talk to me about grace, where would you open up your Bibles? There's ten mentions of the word in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. As we give to the Lord, as they were giving to these poor Christians in Jerusalem, the context from beginning to end, did you notice 2 Corinthians 8, 1 uses the word, 2 Corinthians 9, 15 uses the word, the context from beginning to end is grace. The context from beginning to end is what God has given us. Giving is a time of recognition where we realize that everything that we have, everything we have is from Him. It is in the context of His grace and His mercy. And look at 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9. Personally, this is a passage I try to think about every Sunday morning during the contribution. 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9. And it's in the context of financial giving. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. The grace of Christ, Christ was rich. He was in heaven. He was in need of nothing. Philippians 2, 6 that we talked about this morning. He was equal with God. He was in need of nothing. He was rich, but he became poor. He was found in fashion as a man and humbled himself to death, even death on the cross. The one who was rich became poor so that we might become rich. Our giving is in the context of his grace. In other words, everything we have good is from God. And all real giving was initiated by him. You know John 3.16. God so loved the world that he gave. He gave his only begotten son. All our giving is in light of his giving. Now, I'm going to tell you, in light of that, nobody gives so much that it should lead them to pride. give anything to God that he's not first given to us by the way I don't want to insult you because I'm sure some of you are catching on to this 
I'm making the same points from 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 that I made from 1 Chronicles 29. But in 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 8, God is able to make all grace abound to you so that always having all sufficiency in everything you may have an abundance for every good deed God's able to provide you enough to give in verse 9 as it is written he who scattered abroad he gave to the poor his righteousness endures forever now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness you will be enriched in everything for all liberality which through us is producing thanksgiving to God God is able to give so that we might be able to give to him. Everything we give to him is something he has first given to us. And this passage tells us that God will continue to bless those who continue to give for his cause. He will bless them Not simply that they may have the finest cars and the nicest things, but so that they might continue to give. You know one thing I hate about anything giving? So many emails from so many things that are that are good, noble, and right. And sometimes you get them every day. There's so much begging out there, and there's begging in this account. Look at Second Corinthians eight four. Let me start in verse 3. I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord, begging us with much urging for the favor of participation in support of the saints. Who's doing the begging though? It's not the people asking for money who are doing the begging. It's the people who are are giving who are begging. It's the people who, in verse 2, are described as going through deep poverty. And yet that deep poverty overflowed in a wealth of liberality. He says in verse 3, they gave according to their own ability. And they gave beyond their ability. In verses 3 through 5, they were begging us. You know why? They were begging because they recognized that giving is a privilege. It is a blessing. It is a gift. None of us deserve. None of us deserve to think that feeble men and women 
like us, who have nothing except what God has given us. To think we have the privilege of giving back to the Son who has given us all good things. They were begging for this favor to be able to participate in this contribution. And finally, in 2 Corinthians 9, 15, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift, giving results in praise and thanksgiving to God. Our giving does not result in telling of how good we are, but in telling how good God is. If our giving leads us to self-congratulation, we weren't thinking highly enough, we weren't thinking through these principles. Our giving leads us fall at his feet in awe, in worship, that we even have that privilege of honoring his name. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about Bible reading and, and preaching as being worship. One of the passages that we read was Deuteronomy 31. Deuteronomy 31 verses 9 through 13. Where it talks about they read the law every Feast of Tabernacles or every seven years at the Feast of Tabernacles. So that they and their children would fear God. And I said the very process of reading his word, of listening his words, leads us to reverence to him. And we used an illustration of that. Of the person who just started to read the word just because he thought as an educated person he should be informed about it. He was hostile to its worldview but was converted by the process. Same thing's true of giving. In Deuteronomy, 20, in Deuteronomy 14, verse 23, God told Israel in verse 22, Deuteronomy 14, 22, you shall tithe all the produce from which you sow, which comes out of the field every year. You shall eat in the presence of the Lord your God at the place which he chooses to establish his name, the tithe of your grain, of your new wine, of your oil, of the firstborn of your herd and your flock. I, I know there's some elements of this that are specifically true of Old Testament giving. But I don't think that's true of the final line of Deuteronomy 14 verse 23. The purpose of all of this tithing, the Bible says in Deuteronomy 14 23, is in order that you may learn to fear the Lord, your God, always. When we have the humility 
to acknowledge that everything we have is from Him. That nothing that we give to Him is anything except what He has already given to us. And we realize we're unworthy of the privilege of giving to the King of the universe, to the God of all creation, and we give to Him with thanksgiving and praise in our hearts, the very process of giving leads us to stand in awe of God, to reference God. Yes, giving, if done in these ways, is worship. Let us pray. Oh Lord our God, what can we do? What can we say? When we know it's what, even the time we have is a gift from you. Our life, our time, our health to be here is a gift from you. <coughs> and Lord, Anything we give to you is what you've given to us. And we know that we're not worthy. You have given us so much. You have given your son to save us. Giving back to you is a privilege we don't deserve. It's a privilege that we're not worthy of. And forgive us, O oh God, if we have ever masqueraded our giving as giving to you and yet used it to praise ourselves. May it always be an act of thanksgiving and praise to you who give all good things. Thank you that we could give this day to you. Thank you that we could give this time to you. Thank you that we can give to you from the abundance that you have rained down upon us. Thank you, O oh God. Praise be to your name. In Jesus we pray. Amen. We know the grace 
of our Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich, yet for his, for our sake he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. If you believe that, and you want to act upon it the way people did in the New Testament, by believing in Jesus and be baptized in the remission of sin, we invite you to come as we stay at